All righty, excellent. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 4. We are going to be in verses 1 through 31 this morning. So as followers of Christ, we are called, we are called to make disciples of all nations. And we make disciples by telling others about Jesus, by telling others about our great Savior. However, we don't, we don't get to decide how other people will react when we tell them about our Savior. We don't get to decide how they react when we proclaim the gospel. And because of this, because we don't know how people are going to act, sometimes we hesitate. We hesitate to tell them the good news. Now, we don't hesitate to tell them good news that doesn't really matter, right? Benign good news. Hey, did you check out my new car? Hey, I got a raise at work. Hey, well, this isn't inconsequential, but my child was born. My grandchild was born. We don't get to tell, we don't hesitate to tell them about the good things, right? But we do hesitate to tell them about the great things. And when that great thing comes about, when we're able to present the gospel to them, instead of doing that, we, we bite our tongues. Or we hold back because we don't want to offend them. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We shy away from the teachings about Jesus. And why do we do that? Well, one of the reasons we do this is because we have to understand there is a war going on. That there is a battle going on. That there is a war, not of flesh and bone, but of the spirits. Of the evil powers that work in the, in the hands and the souls of man. And it is intimidating. It's intimidating to tell people about Jesus. Because again, we don't know how they're going to react. Are they going to be receptive? Are they going to look at us like we're crazy? So we need courage. We need boldness. We need help. This is what we're going to see today in this text, in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 31. We're going to see boldness shine through. We're going to see these apostles that are going to face real trials, and we're going to see that boldness coming through, that boldness will come through in the face of real opposition. We're going to see that we have access to that same boldness, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to get together to study your word. Lord, I pray that as we dive in, as we start to look at your scriptures, Lord, that you would illuminate them, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would open our souls to what you have to say to us today. Lord, that we would be emboldened by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the goodness of of your salvation to those who don't know you. And we would be able to proclaim the greatness of salvation, the hope that can be found in your great name. Lord, I pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Here's what we read. We read that, And as they were speaking to the people, so this is Peter and John, they were speaking to the people after the man had been healed, right? After the man, the lame man had gained access back to his legs and he was jumping and he's running around the temple. So as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they, are, they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, 
And the number of men came about to 5,000. What we see here is that there is a cost to proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. See, Peter and John had just healed a lame man through the power of Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit. They had just seen a man who had been lame for 40 years get up, jump, dance, sing, be crazy in the temple. They had just seen that. And the crowd was astonished, and they were amazed to see that this man was walking. This man that they had walked past for many years was now suddenly leaping and praising the Lord. He was restored. He was healed. He was made new by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. However, there's a price to pay because the Sadducees and the people of the temple were greatly annoyed. There was a price to pay. And there were going to be consequences because at the name of Jesus, people will get offended. People will be scared and people will rebel. And we see this fact here in this text. So Peter and John are arrested by the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees because they were greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed that Jesus was being proclaimed. But not that just that Jesus was being proclaimed, but that there is a reality and the power in the resurrection of Jesus. See, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe that anything happened after death, that you just died and that was the end of it. So Jesus' resurrection was a problem for them. And they didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they are sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? (laughs) So they believed that nothing was going to happen, and so Jesus was causing problems. The proclamation of Jesus' resurrection was causing problems with their theology. They were theological issues, and there were also not just theological issues, but there were potential for some political issues as well. See, the Sadducees were very influential. They were very influential amongst the Jewish people, but they were also influential in the political arena. They were wealthy. They accommodated the Roman occupation. They tried to establish a balance between both the Jewish people and the Romans that were there. They were mostly interested in keeping peace. They wanted to keep peace and order. And if they kept the peace and order, the status quo, then Rome would leave them alone. Rome would continue to allow them power, to allow them influence. So they were like, let's just keep things the same. The Sadducees are your religious politicians that don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to, they don't want to make anybody angry. They, they want to appease those in power so that they don't lose their influence and input. And Jesus claimed, and the claim that Jesus rose from the dead was going to rock things was going to rock the boat. It was going to upset the order of things. There can be no status quo when Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne, and that proclamation cost Peter, and it cost John. They had to spend a night in a jail cell. But the reward of the proclamation was higher than the cost. More men and more women came to know freedom in Christ through their proclamation. More men and more women came to know the author of life. More men and more women came to believe and receive eternal life. More men and more women came to become new creations in Christ Jesus. So even though there was a cost, the reward for the cost was higher. And then this scene shifts. There's a shift in the scene. 
from the results of proclaiming the gospel to being empowered and emboldened before the powers that be. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 5 through 12, here's what we read. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Cephas and John and Alexander and all those of high priestly family. And when they had set, before, set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So after their night in jail, Peter and John are brought before the rulers, the elders, and the scribes. And here we see some familiar names. If you, you read Luke, you would recognize these names, Ananias and Caiaphas. These are men are related to one another. They Annas is the father-in-law to Caiaphas. Now, Annas is a previous high priest of great influence, while Caiaphas right now is currently the high priest of the Jewish temple. And just a few weeks prior to this, just a few weeks prior to this, they are responsible in a big part of the reason why Jesus was arrested and Jesus was convicted and Jesus was nailed to the cross. So these two men played a role in that. So apart from the Roman governor, Caiaphas, was the most powerful and most influential person in this region. And they were responsible for the death of Jesus. They were flexing their muscles to squash out the movement that Jesus had begun. To squash out what had been started. Jesus and his influence was something that the religious people did not want to have any part of. They wanted to do away with it. And no matter how hard they tried, no matter what power they tried to invoke, they were unable to stop it. They were unable to stop his power and his influence. It's almost as if Jesus was who he said he was. It's almost as if Jesus' mission was going to continue. But nevertheless, this council was gathered together. And it was a, the Sanhedrin, which were the elders, as 71 of the most powerful people in the area of the most powerful Jewish people in the area. And they wanted answers. They wanted answers. They wanted to keep things in balance. But they were in for a wild ride. So they asked a question, by what power or by what name did you do this? Essentially, they're asking, hey, how did this guy get healed? What authority did you have for this man to be healed? Because their authority was being challenged. Their authority was being mocked. Their authority was being challenged, and so they were being bold in asking, who did this? See, there were no formal charges. They weren't really charged with anything. Peter and, and uh, John weren't. They had no reason to really be upset. I mean, their power and their influence was being challenged by those who followed the Lord of the universe. So the Sanhedrin were intimidated by this. Then Peter answered their question. And Peter answered their question with a, a boldness, right? 
This same Peter, okay? So this is the same guy who just a few weeks ago was denying knowing Jesus before a little slave girl. This same Peter was cowering and cursed and denied Jesus before the rooster crowed. This same Peter did for free what Judas did for silver. This same Peter that had found redemption. He had found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's great to know that Jesus chooses to use train wrecks. Right? It's great to know that our past behavior does not relegate us to the sidelines. That even when we are completely missed the mark, there's forgiveness. There's grace. That Jesus doesn't forsake us even when we forsake him. There is great hope and grace in that fact. This same Peter that denied Jesus is now empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit to speak boldly to those in power. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that. Now, this isn't a second Pentecost. This is a a special empowering of the Holy Spirit to speak boldly. He didn't lose the Holy Spirit and then gain him back. Rather, the Holy Spirit gave him the words to speak. And this would, would remind us of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 14 and 15. He says this, he says, Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So Jesus had promised this, and this fulfillment is in the words of Jesus to aid the disciples through the perfect wisdom and power of Jesus Christ. And Peter once again spoke with unprecedented, I know we're tired of that word, boldness. Right? Think about it for just one second. This men, these men that they were standing before, these men that they were standing before were the same ones who condemned Jesus to death. Peter had seen his friend, his teacher, and his Messiah condemned to death and death on a cross by these men. And now instead of cowering before them, he is emboldened by the Holy Spirit to stand strong in his belief and his conviction of Jesus Christ as Lord. He stands firm. And he says this, he kind of says sarcastically, are we here because some guy got healed? Are we here because this is happening? Something good happened and yet we're standing here going, well, I don't know what's going on. You're bringing us before you because you are afraid of the authority of Jesus Christ. This man has been healed. This man has been made well and we're here because of a good deed. Why? No law has been broken. No charges were standing against them. Why are we here? And Peter has no problem pointing out that the reason they are here is because they are standing before the actual guilty ones, the ones responsible for Jesus' death. That even though you tried to stifle and end Jesus' power and authority, he still reigns, and he has been raised from the dead. And it is through that name that this man was healed. But even though they had responsibility for Jesus' death, God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is true. Your theological understanding is false. There is a resurrection, and that resurrection is found in Jesus. And it is true, and it is powerful, and it is what we cling to. In that resurrection, there is healing, there is restoration, there is life, and there is hope to be found. Those gathered at that council might not have believed in the resurrection. But nevertheless, even though they didn't believe in it, it was true. The resurrection is real. And it is proof of this man's healing through the power of Jesus' name, through the power of this man to save, to heal, and to make things new, to forgive and to restore and to make all 
wrongs right. That is the power of the resurrection. These men had rejected Jesus' teaching. They had rejected his authority. They had rejected his signs and wonders. They had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They had rejected Jesus as the one to save humanity. They rejected him and put him to death. They rejected and threw him away like trash. They rejected him because he changed their game. He overturned their power. He flipped their script. He claimed and proved his lordship through many signs and many wonders, and they rejected him. But God didn't reject him. The Father accepted the sacrifice and vindicated him through the resurrection. And even though they were responsible, Peter offers them an opportunity to repent of their sin and ask for forgiveness. He says in verse 12, and there is no salvation there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under which heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is exclusively the way to salvation. He is exclusively the one to forgive our sins. He is exclusively the one that provides a route to unity with the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. The exclusivity of Jesus, man, it rubs people the wrong way. They say, surely all roads lead to heaven, especially mine. Right? My way leads to heaven, obviously. All routes lead to the mountaintop. All you have to do is be a good person. You worship a God that you want, want to. You be kind. And then you lead into a peaceful afterlife. But Jesus and his disciples all say that there is only one way. There's only one way to salvation. No other name by which anyone can be saved. Jesus alone. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Not self-actualization, not being a better person, not sincerity, not trying to be good. None of these things offer salvation. Only salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that people who say these things can't be sincere. They can't be sincere about the beliefs because they are sincere. But you can be sincerely wrong, right? You can be sincerely kind, you can be sincerely moral and loving to everyone, but sincerity doesn't save. Being sincere doesn't save. It's not the sincerity of your belief that offers salvation. It's the object of belief that offers salvation, that delivers salvation. And Jesus, as the object of our faith, he is the one who provides salvation. Now, let's not get it twisted. The Sanhedrin, that council that they were standing before, they were sincere. They were sincere in their belief that they were right. Jesus wasn't the promised Messiah. The resurrection wasn't true. They were sincere enough to condemn an innocent man to death. They were sincere enough to ignore the miraculous signs and wonders. They were sincere enough to bring Peter and John on trial, but their sincerity was not going to save them. They had a one-way ticket to eternal separation from God forever. Do we see the severity of this claim that there are many ways to God? We think that we're loving, compassionate, tolerant when we tell non-believers that they are okay. That, yeah, sure, you'll get to heaven. Or when we don't challenge them against their convictions. It isn't loving to hide the truth from them. 
It's not loving to shy away from telling them about Jesus. And that's why I initiated this challenge, these, these five people that I want you to think about, so that you can see the importance of telling others about Jesus. If they don't know Jesus, they are going to spend eternity separated from him. If they don't know Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from him. And they need to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. This isn't some kind of pastoral exercise or gimmick. This is something that we shouldn't just gloss over. This is a reality. Souls are at stake. And I want you to think about your five. If you haven't been here for the past couple weeks, this is what I I challenge you with. I want you to think about five people that you know in your sphere of influence, whether it be family, friends, work colleagues, or whatever it is. Think about five people that you know who don't know the Lord. And I want you to pray for them. I want you to find a way to serve them. I want you to find a way to invite them to church. How you can be bold and you can best show your love to those on your list. That you would be bold, that you would be loving, that you would be ready. That you would be ready to tell them about the love of Jesus, the exclusivity of Jesus. Now, I don't want you to think that you don't have the tools or ability to share the truth. Tell them about how Jesus has changed your life. Tell them about how awesome he is and how he has changed your life and tell them about your testimony. Tell them about how you have been transformed by your love for Jesus. Let them see that you love, that you care for them. Don't be ashamed or scared by the exclusivity of Christ. In Romans 1.16, this is what what Paul says. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation comes from Jesus alone. That's good news. We have salvation available. We have salvation available found in Jesus Christ's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have that. Tell others about him. Let them know about King Jesus. They may not want to believe, but what if they do? What if God stirs in their heart a desire to know him? I'll tell you what, if they come to him and they, they submit to him, all of heaven is going to rejoice at the saving of that one lost soul. All of heaven is going to sing and we will celebrate that one, one person came to know the Lord. Don't take this lightly. Be committed to stepping outside your comfort zone. Be committed to ministering the truth of Jesus Christ to these people on your list. Be committed and pray for power. Pray to be bold, and the Holy Spirit will empower you to be bold if you ask him and if you speak the truth in love. You see, Peter and John had gained boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit, but they also had boldness in conviction. In verse 13 through 22, it says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
and we cannot deny it. But in order that we may, it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Peter and John, they were uneducated. They were not special when it came to earthly relevance. They were common men who through the power of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of Christ changed the world. Remember, these were those backwoods hillbillies that spoke on behalf of God. They had been with Jesus. Jesus is the power and the authority. And when we spend time with Jesus, when we get together with Jesus and we are knowing and growing in our relationship with him, then people around us will see a difference in our lives. Our prayer should be that when people look at us, they see Jesus. That when they spend time with us, they recognize that we had spent time with Jesus. And because these men had been with Jesus and they had been empowered by the Holy Spirit, the council was dumbfounded. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to think. They didn't know how to react to the fact that they see this man who had been lame for more than 40 years now walking and leaping and dancing through the temple. In the context of first century, 40 was really old. Really old. It's not so old now. I'm approaching it, so I can't be that old, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, it wasn't that. It was really old. If you had an ailment and it hadn't been cured by the time you were 40, there was no helping you. Yet this man had been sitting at the temple gate for decades. He had been made whole. He had been fixed. This man had been miraculously healed, and there's no hiding it. Everybody in Jerusalem had seen it. At least they'd heard about it. The council had nothing that they could say. What are they going to do? No, he's not really healed. No, they see him. They watch him. They walk in. They know this guy. So being speechless and no doubt and wonder, they come to a conclusion that they need to punish these guys. They need to punish Peter and John. So they say, go away so we can talk about what we're going to do. Here's a plan. So what can we do? What can we do? We can't deny that he's walking. He's known. He's bro- he was broken. Now he's not. I got the perfect solution. Quote, got the perfect solution. Let's tell them not to talk about Jesus anymore. Just tell them, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Let's give them a stern warning, a slap on the wrist. Stop telling others about the salvation found in Jesus. Stop telling people about the miraculous that is done in Jesus. Stop telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. But obviously this command had no teeth. They weren't going to do anything. And Peter and John's response, it's priceless. It's simply priceless. Peter and John say, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Essentially, they said, sorry, not sorry. Can't stop, won't stop. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep telling others about Jesus. We have the good news. We've seen the good news. We've got to keep telling people. There's nothing that would stop them except for death. And even that, they're going to proclaim it to the last breath. 
because they had seen and heard the miracles of Jesus. They had felt the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. They had seen the grace of Jesus, and their boldness and their conviction was about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And there was no way, no way they're going to stop telling people about the good news of Jesus. They had seen it. They had heard it. They had been a part of too much to stop. They were excited. They were emboldened. They were empowered to speak about the name above every other name. We don't care what you're going to do to us. We're going to tell people about Jesus. Now, we don't tend to have this same kind of boldness in our culture today. Those of us who claim to to know Christ find it easy to let go of or abandon the convictions about who Jesus is. But Jesus is who he says he is. He expects people who want to follow him to stand for what he believes. It'll be hard. It may cost you much, but throughout church history, the pressures from the outside have tried to constrain the truth of Jesus to no avail. I mean, the church, this church had just formed. It just started having influence, right? And, and already, there are people putting pressure from the outside to tell them to be quiet, to not speak about Jesus. We don't believe that. It's impossible. That didn't happen. And here in America, instead of standing up, we we are afraid to speak about Jesus because of how someone may look at us. We are afraid to tell people about Jesus because we might lose a friendship or we might be called a bad name, lunatic, crazy, Jesus freak. We refuse to speak about Jesus because we don't want to be outcast. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to seem nutty. We are too comfortable and complacent. We are too comfortable with our comfort and our individualized faith. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we should pray for persecution. I'm not saying that we should be out condemning the world. Rather, we should be telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. In the grand scheme of things, it will cost us nothing, even if it costs us everything. Because even if we die Speaking the name of Jesus, we'll be face-to-face with him in glory. I think back a few years ago, 2015, there's this video that went around the internet and on news cycles. And it was of these 21 Egyptian believers who were taken to the desert and they were all kneeling down and they were professing Jesus Christ. They were caught by some fundamentalist over there and they were beheaded on tape because of their faith. Their heads were cut off because they would not deny their faith in Jesus Christ. It was filmed and it was distributed for intimidation purposes. This is what's going to happen to you if you continue to proclaim Jesus. And they pay the ultimate price. But they gain the ultimate reward. They got to be with Jesus. They That right there, that's conviction. That's trust. That's hope. That's bold. That's faith. And yet, we are afraid to live out our faith and tell others about Jesus because we may get a couple of cross glances. Somebody may roll their eyes, make us feel a little uncomfortable. We may be marked as crazy. But Jesus gave up everything to invite people into the family. Aren't you willing to give up a little bit of your comfort? One or two friendships? Are you willing to give, give up the fact that you may look weird? What are you willing to sacrifice so that others come to know this Jesus? 
I want you to also notice, though, that Peter and John were bold, but they aren't brash. Boldness and brashness are completely different things. You can be bold without being brash. You can be bold and loving. You don't have to be a jerk. You can be considerate and loving. See, Jesus was bold. Peter and John were bold. Christians throughout history had been bold. So the question is, will you be bold? Will you stand firm on your convictions? Will you tell others about Jesus regardless of the cost? It won't be easy. But I have some good news for you. You don't have to do it alone. We can find boldness with brothers in verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who went through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand, your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness i call this boldness with brothers but that's simply for alliteration purposes brothers and sisters people together in christ will help us to be bold with each other when it seems to be difficult and peter and john are released and they immediately went back to their friends and after recounting what had happened what they had seen what the verdict was they began to what pray. They prayed to the sovereign Lord. They prayed to the one who was in control of everything. God wants to hear from his children, and we pray to him. Don't forget this. Regardless of how we feel, God is always in control. God has always got his hand on it. He is always the one in control. They prayed not just to God, but they prayed the reality of their situation using the words of David Using the words of Scripture in Psalm 2, why do the nations or Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? This should be our prayer too. We need boldness. Because there will always be people who stand opposed to Jesus. He has many enemies. Many people do not want to submit to his lordship. Many people don't want to acknowledge his salvation. He is not the popular option. But he is the only option. He is the only option. The world cries, if you love me, accept me for who I am. And Jesus responds, I love you so much and that is why I want you to be transformed. That is why I want you to be saved. We are not our best without Jesus and we will never be our best without him. Jesus comes to restore. He brings restoration. He brings us from our brokenness into wholeness in him. And people are okay, unfortunately, with their brokenness. 
They're okay with their brokenness. Because if they're living in their brokenness, they don't have to submit to his authority. They don't have to give up their sinful desires. Because they don't accept his authority, they are enemies of God. But we should want them no longer to be enemies. We want them to be reconciled. We want them to be drawn in. We want them to be friends of God. And this is why we have to tell them about the gospel of Jesus so they will become friends of God. But just know that because Jesus has enemies, his followers, when they speak in boldness, are going to have enemies as well. When they speak about Jesus, when we speak about Jesus, they're going to have enemies as well because we are not greater than our master. We are going to face similar trials. We're going to face similar outcasting and shunning. But that's why we need one another. We need one another to anchor and to encourage and to fight for the faith together. We need one another to love and to pray and to serve together. We can't do it alone. Because alone we surely will fail. But together we can be strengthened. Together we can do what we have been called to do. Tell others about Jesus. Jesus has graciously given us one another because he knows that we need it. Much like these first believers, we need to pray for boldness. We need to ask God for boldness in all circumstances. Boldness does not come from within. It's not something that I can do. It comes from God alone. The Holy Spirit will embolden us. Boldness comes from the knowledge of the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit. Boldness comes through submission and humility and reliance on God alone. Boldness is a gift and an attitude. No matter what happens, I'm going to be bold for Jesus because Jesus died for me. We need to stand firm. We need to be bold and hold on to our convictions, and we need to be bold and lean on each other with all boldness. If you are a Christian, you need to live your life in the boldness that, that has granted you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You need to know that God desires for you to tell others about him, but he hasn't left you powerless to do so. You don't have to tell others about him in your own power. And even if you tell other people about Jesus and they reject him, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting him. Pray for boldness. Ask God to provide you with opportunities to preach the gospel to those who don't know him. Know that Jesus is greater than any chastisement, any ridicule, anything that can happen to us, a loss of job, a loss of family, imprisonment, physical punishment, or even death. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than any risk that you may have to take to tell others about him. Do you really believe that? Do you hold on to that same conviction? Stand up and stand out and tell others about the great master that you serve. Count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because the reward promised is greater than any trial that the world can throw at you. Jesus is greater. And if you aren't a believer, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I I want you to know that he's calling out to you, that he's beckoning you to, to him. He's saying, I want you to be a part of this family. You need to submit to that call. You need to turn to him. Turn away from your selfishness and turn to Jesus. Give yourself to him. He's calling you. Will you answer him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you.